Amen. Amen. Let's take our seats. Jesus, only you. Only you. This morning I'm talking about worship. And I uh, can't just call it worship. I have to call it and worship. Um, if you know we're doing an and series. I think I'm going to stop doing that. But um, I can't help it now. Every time I think of a sermon title, it's got to have the word and in front of it. But and worship, what does that mean? Jesus, only you. What an amazing thing to say. Um, it's, uh, you always have my heart. Um, I actually think God wants more than just our hearts. He wants our minds. He wants us to know what we believe and investigate things and think about what we believe. I think that's important too. And I think he wants our bodies. I think he wants all of us. And I wonder in our modern world today uh, where some would say, do what you want as long as it makes you feel happy. Uh, I don't find that in the Bible. I don't find that in Scripture. Uh, if you can find that, then let me know. That's uh, Andy chapter 2. No, kidding. God bless you, Andy. So worship, what is worship? And uh, I wonder if our modern songs, our modern worship, our loud drums, our lights and our smoke, and I don't know if that's quite indicative of biblical times worship. And I think we're quite different today than during the time the Bible was written. And I would hope and I would pray that certain principles have remained whilst maybe the style has changed a little. And I wouldn't want to lose any of the ancient wisdom that these guys and gals, they really knew some wisdom. And I, and I hope we're not losing some of that wisdom in uh, modern forms of worship. And uh, a critique of our culture maybe is our, smones, uh, our phones are getting smarter and quicker but I wonder if us as human beings are going in the opposite direction. Um, maybe. I don't want to criticize and talk about anybody here, but uh, maybe I'll talk about myself in all of this. So what did it mean to worship in biblical times? Uh, worship for the nation of Israel was something that was essential. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 uh, you have the major theme of the nation of Israel, which was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. It was something that everything, every part of you had to be engaged with. And of course, there was a warning not to worship false gods, not to worship the gods of other nations. And then came the promise, uh, promises that you read in Deuteronomy and uh, that come with staying in the land and being part of God's kingdom all those warnings, they come into play. Deuteronomy is a, a really fantastic, amazing book to study. And, I, and I, one reason, I think, is Jesus seemed to love Deuteronomy. He used to quote it all the time. That and some bits of Isaiah as well seem to be Jesus' favorites. So Jesus picks up on this theme about to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and soul. And he picks it, that up as the essential commandment. And the second is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's actually from Leviticus. So Jesus builds his message and his life and his sermon around a scriptural foundation. And he considers these things important. So I, said, I would say let's consider them important too. 
To serve God or to love God is to serve God. To serve him is to love him. And some of the words that that were used for worship in Hebrew text actually also mean to serve. To love God is to serve him. And someone once said, service is love dressed up in work clothes. Service is love dressed up in work clothes. It demonstrates, service demonstrates the attitude of our heart. I want to switch to the New Testament, the writings of Paul, and I want to open, if you've got your Bibles there, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and we'll pick it up here. Therefore, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship or your reasonable service. Paul wrote to the church in Rome where sacrifice was commonplace. I don't know when you picture the Roman army or the Roman nation there conquering, you imagine a big fluffy red thing on their hats and uh, sandals with socks on or however you picture the Romans. But the idea of sacrifice was really essential to being Roman. To be, to, to be Roman was to be religious. You wouldn't be a religious Roman because that actually wouldn't make any sense because you're not Roman unless you were religious. And if you weren't uh, serving these many gods and worshipping them and bringing them uh, offerings, maybe it's incense or maybe it's uh, animals or things like that, you couldn't be in the Roman army. You couldn't be part of that. You couldn't even go to the marketplace in some towns because you had to offer a sacrifice of incense as you entered the market. And of course, for these, these new Christians, these Christ followers, this presented a problem because how do they get on with life if they refuse to bring an offering? So it prohibited them being part of daily activities, daily life, so they would form their own communities and um, they would look kind of have to look out for each other, and then they began to look after the poor and the needy and the sick and the dying. And you can see quickly how the church kind of grew as this kind of subculture going on because they wouldn't get involved with worship and offering these things to these um, to the to the to these gods. Um, It's worth noting in this scripture, just as a quick side note, not really a side note, but as a a note that in the view of the mercy of God. So when Paul is saying to present yourselves as a sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, this is all in view of God's mercy. Everything we do, you know, if we surrender our life to God, or when we do, or as we do, as we service, as we surrender our life to God, it's in view of what God's done for us. It's always in view of God's mercy. It's always in view of God's grace. Grace is God's power which enables us to do what he's called us to do. And the mercy is about us not getting the punishment that we do deserve when we've missed the mark, where we've sinned, where we've fallen short. And we know the mercy of God is because Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, while we were far away from God, by his grace in Christ he has brought us near. Then to offer ourselves 
as a sacrifice to serve God, which is our worship, it's in view of God's mercy. Often people are looking for, what's my motivation here? What's going to get me out of bed in the morning? What's going to make me do this and that? And when we experience and realize how much God loves us, even while we were undeserved, of course, to give our life in the service of God, you see, there's an exchange that goes on. So how do we interpret the living sacrifice? How do we interpret that in our modern world? What does it mean to live a life that pleases God as an act of worship? I look at the scripture and I think, okay, well, maybe our view today is that worship is what we do for an hour on Sunday morning. Well, actually, we only do for about half an hour on a Sunday morning. That that is our worship. And the mentality, maybe in these ancient times, is when they would gather together, and in those days it was the temple, the first thought on their mind as they came to the temple is, what can I bring? What can I give? And I wonder sometimes if we flip that around and we think, okay, I'm going to make my way to church, and what can I receive? What can I get rather than what I can give. And I think that's one area that we've kind of missed out on today, that coming together is an opportunity to give. And the scripture says a a gift, someone's gift makes room for them. And I'm not sure that scripture's talking about a bribe or, you know, what something, you know, different interpretations there. But what have I got to give? What do I have that I can offer? You see, that's a different mentality to coming into a worship service thinking, how can I be blessed today? How can I receive from God? What has God got for me today? And I think it's important to gather together because a lot of people go through their whole week without any kind of encouragement, without any kind of um, challenge in their life. And it's like, where is your faith? Where's your belief? Where's that time you can gather together with people with similar beliefs, get encouraged, get challenged, maybe get out of your own head and your own space and look up? You know, we, I walk in, on, in town the other day looking at my phone, nearly bumped into somebody, and I'm like, what? I, I've become this phone zombie. I'm thinking, Giles, wake up, because you're just looking down the whole time. <laughs> And you're going to run into the road and that's going to be the end of you. But I wonder if that's what our culture's like, is we're looking down all the time and we're looking inwardly all the time. But you can come to church and we can open up our hearts and our hands and our lives and say, Jesus, there's you. There's something else in my life apart from me. Does the world actually doesn't revolve around me and what I think? And maybe get out of your own head for an hour on a Sunday morning is probably a, a very good thing. What does it mean to worship? In the old days, the worship of the king would be to declare your allegiance, your sworn duty, to say, I'll do anything in service of the king. A meatloaf song, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. 
I wonder if that's more like our worship day. Jesus, I give you everything, but I won't do that. I was watching the, the proclamation of King Charles III and how in our culture, the government, the police, the army, they all swear their allegiance, don't they, to the new king, whatever. That means to them personally, I think, is very different maybe from when, the, when those words were written. Anyway, point number one. <laughs> That was my introduction. Point number one, worship is not singing. Singing is not worship. And that's a comfort to us uh, tone-deaf people. You know, if my worship was judged on my ability to sing like I'm on the X Factor or something, there'd be no golden buzzer for me. So this is a comfort that, you know, God's not actually concerned that I'm tone-deaf and can't sing very fortunate for me. But what I can do is offer myself as an act of worship, because worship is sacrifice. Sacrifice is of ourselves in serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, laying down our lives, crying out, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus did this in that garden with many tears, many tears, prayed this, and we pray this today, don't we? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is the Lord's will to be done on earth? Do we ever think about it when we pray that? Lord, I want your will to be done on earth, but how is God's will going to be done unless we do it? It's not going to be done, is it? The name of Jesus is not going to be proclaimed unless we proclaim it. In the Old Testament, of course, that's, that word sacrifice meant the service the priests would offer in the temple. And it would be the job of the priests to offer the sacrifice. But in the New Testament, Jesus says, listen, you're all priests. You're all kings. You're all meant to do this. This is your reasonable service. This is your service. And that's what they'd call the Levites their act of service was their offering and offering was their worship and we still call it a worship service today we call it a church service but it's meant that we are serving the king of kings and the lord of lords I was talking to a friend recently and they uh, in a more traditional church and they did their evening song and uh, he said for the first time and this was a few years ago he said there was no congregation turned up to our evensong worship. And I'm like, well, what did you do? And they said, well, we don't do it for the people. <laughs> We're doing it for the Lord. So we did it anyway. And I was thinking, well, that's that, because that's what their focus was, to offer that worship up to God. But it's part of them offering themselves, and in that context, it comes out as singing. It comes out as words out of our mouth but how many know that it can, can't just be words that come out of our mouth to a nice modern tune you know without the actions and our bodies and our lives backing up what it means we've sung that these songs today jesus only you and then i wonder this afternoon if someone questions us and maybe we've got a bit of an attitude on or maybe you know, we're just being human and I won't go there. 
We do have times of singing today, times when we declare to the Lord, times of uh, devotion to Him, maybe daily devotion. We have our times that we're telling others about Christ. We have times in our life where we seem to separate, this is what I'm doing for God, and then the rest of my day is just, that's me. And I'm not sure that's what Paul's talking about at all here. It's like, no, actually, it's good to start the day with a time of devotion. And devotion means to devote oneself to, to serve, doesn't it? But actually, all of my day is given to the Lord. I've got to get through my notes. Reading the um, book of Acts this week, um, and the apostles, there were the 12 apostles, and they, uh, the church started to grow too quickly. I don't know if you know this. Um, but they were, had a good feeding program going on. They had lots of social engagement with the church. And the apostles uh, got these complaints because people weren't getting food or uh, some of the Greeks weren't getting um, what they wanted and, and stuff like that. So they appointed these seven uh, people to serve. And Philip was one of them, wasn't he? Philip was one. Stephen was another. And I can't remember the names of the other guys. Um, sorry, guys, if you're listening. Um, that's a joke. Just teasing you. They appointed them to serve the tables. But when you read the book, how many times did they actually serve the tables? It's quite funny, isn't it? Philip said, well, I'm off to evangelize. I'm off to uh, here, there, and everywhere. And Philip goes off to Samaria and gets the whole town saved. And then he meets the guy from Ethiopia and then gets all of Ethiopia saved. And there's Stephen, and you know what his story is, and he's preaching the gospel. So the call to serve tables, and I think because they were willing to do those little things, and of course to the people that had got the food, that wasn't a little thing, but actually that willingness to serve opened up amazing opportunities for them to change the nation, change the world. And of course the Apostle Paul um, was there when Stephen was stoned, and you know this, all these things just carry on, don't they? And being chosen to serve, even if it's just helping with the tea and coffee, even if it's doing just something small, can open the opportunities um, all over, as we see it there. So actually, the word minister, if you want to be a minister of the gospel, actually, the word minister means servant. Anyway, point number two. Worship, I've told you what it isn't. It isn't singing. Worship is service. To worship the Lord and to serve the Lord are interchangeable. To worship God is to serve him. Joshua knew this in Joshua 24, verse 15, if you've got your Bibles there, it says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So again, how do we look at this? The gods of the Amorites, the gods of the people around us. Serving God is a choice. Choose today. 
Now, maybe this doesn't seem relevant because we don't have the temples of the Amorites, we don't have all these things around us, and we, we don't physically offer sacrifice to some foreign god. Maybe you know, we don't necessarily have uh, wooden or stone idols in our house. But we are in danger of serving the same God of those around us. And I think one of the clearest examples Jesus brings in Matthew chapter 6 is one of the idols or one of the things that people serve is money. And our desire to get money and thinking money is going to solve all of our problems. And we worship the almighty pound, you know, because that's the thing that's going to make our lives any better. And of course we sacrifice to money because we give up 30, 40, sometimes 60 hours a week in the service of that money. That's not to say we shouldn't work. But in our hearts, that is not the source of our supply. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. He'll either hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or interpreted as money, possessions, fame, status, or whatever is valued more than the Lord. To worship God is to serve him. To serve the Lord is to follow him, to put yourselves in his service. So serving anybody, if you're serving somebody, it means that you are willing to do and you do what they want you to do. Paul would say of himself that I am a bondservant of Christ. Another scripture translates that, says, I am a slave of Christ. And that servant's heart that's willing, that says, yes, Lord, I'll do what you've called me to do, is a heart that says, whatever you want. And that becomes our default setting. Our default answer to God is, yes, Lord, anytime, anywhere, any place, whatever you want. It brings me to my final point. If we've begun with a willing heart, a servant's heart, a heart of worship, what is it that God wants us to do? That's a very good question. What does God want me to do? Okay, I'm willing, I'm obedient. Back to Deuteronomy 6, willing and obedient, eat the fruit of the land. What is it that God wants us to do? What is God's will? I'm going to talk a little bit more about purpose next week. Um, Oswald Chambers says it like this. Many people think that God can't use them where they are. But certainly God can't use them where they aren't. It seems really simple, isn't it? When we wonder what God wants to do, wants us to do, simple solution is start wherever you're at now. And whatever you do, you're doing it for the Lord. And then a, 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 an attitude kind of switches and changes that what I am doing, whatever it is, I'm doing it to the best of my ability in the service of the Lord. Colossians 3, verse 22 and 24, Paul writing to the church in Coloss, talking to slaves. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart 
and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with your heart as you're working for the Lord and not for men. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ himself you are serving. He says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Paul writing to slaves, men and women who didn't have any choice in what they did. And the masters probably weren't concerned whether their slaves were happy or enjoyed what they did, found it fulfilling, or maybe what they did matched their gifts and their temperament. And they really felt fulfilled in all of this. Slaves simply did whatever they were told. Now, of course, we're not slaves. And I'm not, I, I know for sure that Paul isn't endorsing slavery here. You understand? This is contextual. We could say, substitute that word, um, worker, employee. Employee, do what you're doing. Not when the boss is watching, but do it for the Lord. And we're not slaves. But we can do whatever we do with a heart for the Lord. Then it doesn't matter if we're a doctor, a soldier, a builder, a cook, a teacher, solicitor, a carer. Maybe you're traveling the world as a, some kind of businessman or salesman or salesperson. doesn't matter. Whatever we do, we do it with a heart for the Lord. When we view our whole lives as something that's in service of God, then our heart attitude changes. Whatever I do. Then my, my morning doesn't just become about getting out of life what I want to get out. It becomes a moment of, I give this day to you. I give myself to you in your service. And you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and say, come on, tell me what I need to do today. Help me in what I need to do today. Because in the view of God's mercy, I'll close Romans 12 where I started. I urge you, there's an urgency about Paul in this. Brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, I tell you, we're so thankful for God's mercy. Where would we be without the mercy of God? Makes you kind of feel sorry for people that don't understand the grace of God, don't understand the mercy of God that lost in their sin and their, their trespasses without hope, without Christ in the world, Scripture says. To offer your bodies, to offer your whole being as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. Is what I do with my body pleasing to God? This is your spiritual act of worship. This is your reasonable service. This is what's expected of you. What is expected? that we can serve God. And to serve God is to love God. And to love God is to worship God. And to worship God is to serve Him. Who do we serve? I think there's a challenge out there for us this morning. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And we're going to sing our final 
song with us this morning. But let's let that message resonate within us. How am I, how is my life offered up as a sacrifice to God? What am I doing with my life that I know that I shouldn't be doing? What have I placed in my heart before God? What, what or who am I serving or placing in the place of God? Jesus, Jesus, only you, only you, we offer our lives. We offer our minds. We offer every part of our being to you in service, in worship in offering to you. Amen, amen.